Grace and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters, in Christ. In the spirit of Mother's Day, question for you. What does motherhood have in common with the battlefield? You mothers among us, I think you can think of a few things. The primary thing, though, that motherhood and a battlefield have in common is chaos. Absolute and utter chaos, especially when your kids are young. The house is messy. It's hard to, hard to keep up with, with the messes that your kids are making. And as your kids get older, the messes that they make get more profound and more mature. And so keeping up with those messes is also chaotic quite like a battlefield. Life, in general, is quite like a battlefield, wouldn't you say? Life is pretty chaotic. And just like a warrior on the battlefield can succumb to their natural instincts to preserve themselves and to survive and forget why they're there, forget what they're fighting for, and maybe run away, we could do that in life, couldn't we? With the chaos that is in front of us, you can lose yourself and succumb to your more natural instincts to fight back, to run away, to get angry. I know that's a challenge for mothers, isn't it? Among the chaos of what your kids are doing, you can, you can lose yourself. You can get caught up in what's going on in your household. You can forget what you're there for. Well... Peter is eager to remind you and me what we're here for. To see the light through all the chaos. To see what we're on this battlefield called life for. But if we're going to call life a battlefield, that kind of implies certain things, doesn't it? That implies that there is an enemy that you are fighting. Do you have enemies? I would be willing to bet that many of you would say, no, no. You have a boss, maybe. You have a superior officer. You have a principal. You have a teacher that doesn't treat you very well, that makes your life hard. But we have this reluctance to call certain people our enemies. Why is that? Kind of goes against our conscience a little bit. If you call someone your friend, you are implying that you enjoy their company and they probably enjoy your company, that they provide value to you and that you provide some value to them. You're acknowledging that when you call them your friend. If you call someone your enemy, does it have to have the same reciprocity that they oppose you and everything that you stand for and that you oppose them and everything that they stand for? Well, probably not. Peter is willing to admit that we have enemies. You have people that oppose you. You have forces at work in the world that stand against what you stand for. So Peter wants to talk to us today about what we do on the battlefield, who we're really fighting, and how not to lose ourselves. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, he says. 
Our text begins with a kind of silly question, doesn't it? Is Peter really wondering, yeah, who is going to harm you for doing good? Because we can think of tons of people, right? The world is full of people who are willing to harm you, even if you are eager to do good. If we lined up the people who are trying to take advantage of your goodness, who are trying to harm you even though you are choosing to do good, if we lined them up right here, they would go outside the church and into the parking lot. Peter can't really be wondering if such people exist. No, he's not. He's a lot more realistic. Already in his letter to this, this church, this group of Christians, he has acknowledged the fact that there are sinister forces at work, that there are people who oppose you even when you try to do good. But let's explore his question a little bit. Who really can harm you, though? Because there are different kinds of harm, right? You don't want to get mugged, I assume. You don't want to be physically harmed, and so you'll take precautions to avoid that. It's the fear of mugging that causes you to walk where there's a, where there's sufficient light, to carry pepper spray in your purse. You take precautions to prevent that harm from happening. You might be afraid. You might have some anxiety about people taking advantage of you and betraying your trust, causing you emotional harm. And if that's you, you might take precautions to avoid that kind of harm. You might be careful what you share with whom you share it. But who can really harm you in a substantial way? Who can strike you at the core of who you are? Who can change who you are? Here can, who can pierce right into the foundation of what makes you, you? Those are the people to be afraid of, right? And if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a foundation, then anyone can harm you in that way. Then anyone can get to you. Then anyone can challenge and pierce and destroy who you are. But Peter says, no one can harm you, Christians, in this way. Wouldn't you like to know how you are invincible from that kind of real, substantial, eternal, spiritual harm? Well, that's what Peter gives us next. How to protect ourselves. He says... In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He says to us, revere Christ as Lord. That is, there is a number one spot in your heart. Christ belongs there. First of all, because Christ is the top dog, he is the most powerful, most authoritative person in the universe. Christ sits atop the, thro uh, the throne of the universe. He controls all events, big things and little things, and everything in between. No power and authority exists outside of Christ's control and power and his authority. To revere him as Lord is simply to acknowledge that. 
to say Jesus is the most important, that Jesus is the king of the universe, because he is. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're just not facing facts. But also if we don't acknowledge that, also if we don't revere Christ as Lord, think of the damage we could do to ourselves. Think of the enemies you make when that number one spot in your heart is filled by anything else. Personal comfort, self-achievement, whatever. If comfort is number one in your heart, if comfort is your Lord, then anyone who makes you feel uncomfortable is your enemy. Whether it's your best friend or your mom or a Christian brother or sister that calls you to repent for a very real sin you've committed. They are now your enemy because of the, how they made you feel. Or if personal achievement and goal setting and accomplishing and becoming the best version of yourself is your Lord, has that number one spot in your heart, then anyone who gets in the way of your goals is your enemy, whether or not they are your neighbor who desperately needs your love, your service. And if that number one spot in your heart is occupied by a desire to practice your faith, to come to church, to be comfortable with your faith, but to never accept that it might make things hard for you, then if you're ever in a situation where someone calls you to carpet for your faith, mistreats you for your faith, or you have to witness to Christ, but it might make you uncomfortable, then you make Christ into your enemy. You may resent your very own Lord by calling you into a situation that you didn't ask for. Is that possible? That we could take the Lord of glory, the king of the universe, and make an enemy out of him? Of course it is. Because there was a time when that's all that you were. When the only way to describe you on the battlefield was an enemy of Christ. There was a time when you stood against everything Christ stands for, when you rebelled against him. But this is the real reason why Jesus deserves that number one spot in your heart, because he already won the war. Because he took on flesh, he took his place on the battlefield, not to do battle against you, but to do battle against your sin. He targeted sin and your unrighteousness and your guilt, and that was the enemy. And he destroyed it. And in its place gives you forgiveness and newness of life. He gives you a new self, a self that is wrapped up in his righteousness, in who he is. He gives you life, life to the full. He gives you his authority, his grace, and his love as the foundation for who you are. That's what Peter says next. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those 
who were disobedient long ago. How sure is your foundation? How sure is Christ's victory? Well, Peter says, as soon as Jesus was done suffering for sins, as soon as the last drop of blood was bled that needed to be bled, as soon as Jesus declared it is finished from the cross and gave up his life and breathed his last, you were completely and totally atoned for. Your unrighteousness was cured. And then Jesus was made alive in a glorious act that goes against everything that we know. Jesus came alive, and what was the first thing that he did? He went and made his victory known. He showed up in hell so that he could look straight in the face of your true enemies, straight in the face of Satan himself and everyone who is on Satan's side and say, this is over, Satan. I have won. That son, that daughter of mine is no longer yours to torment. They are mine now. I win. Your day is done. Satan now will certainly breathe his threats, will certainly tempt and try to get you to fall away from Christ, but remind him that your victory in Christ is already sure. And he should know that already because Christ told him face to face when he descended into hell. And so if Christ's victory is so sure, who can harm you? Nobody. Not Satan himself. Not a human being who mistreats you a little bit. Not a force out there or a government or a group that goes against what you stand for. They cannot truly harm you. They cannot affect what Christ has done for you. That is already sure. They cannot pierce into the foundation of what makes you, you. Because what makes you, you is the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. You already win. So who really is your enemy? Sun Tzu, in his book, The Art of War, one of the most popular works of military philosophy, says, amidst chaos lies opportunity. How do you keep yourself from losing yourself in the moment amidst the chaos? Because life is chaotic. There is violence, there is persecution, there is antagonism. There are people who seem to be begging for the opportunity to become your enemy. How do you keep yourself from losing yourself in the chaos? In Christ Jesus, you reinterpret the chaos as opportunity. Because it might be God's will that you suffer. And your suffering will give you a chance to declare through your attitude about that suffering where your hope comes from. Peter says, always be ready to give a reason, to anyone who asks you for a reason, to get for the hope that you have. But here's the thing. Not very many people will say it that way. Peter knows that. 
not very many people, might happen, but not very many people will come up to you and say, hey, what's the reason for the hope that you have? No, they ask that question, but it sounds a little different. It might sound like, why do you let people walk all over you? What they're really asking is, why are you so quick to forgive? What they're really asking is, where does your foundation come from that you're okay being mistreated? Boom. They're ready for the reason, for the hope that you have. That question might sound like, why do you go to that place every Sunday? Why do you have that Bible on your dining room table and it's open like you just read it? And it might sound a little bit antagonistic. It might sound a little bit like they think those are dumb decisions to make. What they're really asking is, what do you find when you go to that place on Sunday morning? What do you find when you open that Bible? What is it that you are provided with? What's the reason for the hope that you have? Problem is, if you're too busy thinking of other human beings as enemies and treating them as such, you, your ears won't be open for these opportunities to share your hope. If comfort or if security or if never living and speaking your faith are your priorities, then you will miss these opportunities to share the hope that you have. But if, as Peter commands us, we revere Christ as Lord, if he sits in that number one spot in our hearts, we won't be too worried about getting mistreated. We'll be ready to listen and ready to answer. Keep in mind how, how simple Peter makes it. Someone asks, you answer. He doesn't say, shout them down. He doesn't say, keep, a, uh, keep an ongoing debate going. He doesn't say, don't let them leave until you've converted them to Christ. He says, give them an answer. Just tell them what you know about Jesus. While you do it, keep a clear conscience. Do it with gentleness and respect. Not treating these other people who disagree with you as enemies, because they're really not. It's sin that's the enemy. It's unbelief that is the enemy. And you can help them with that by sharing your hope. One more encouragement from Peter. He says, In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I am not a mother myself but I've spoken to a couple mothers in my lifetime who feel guilt, whose consciences are bothering them. And I think that's likely that many of us feel that way. We look at the ways that we've been trying to raise our kids or trying to fulfill the vocations we're called into, and we can think of a myriad of examples when we drop the ball and our consciences bother us. What do we do with that? 
Is it enough for me to say, just keep a clear conscience, just make sure you don't make any mistakes in the future, then you'll be good. No, Peter has so much more to give than that. Whether you're a mother who has regrets on the ways that she raised her kids, or a dad, or a husband, or a worker, or a student, or a friend, or a citizen, the ways that we keep a clear conscience is recognizing where the cleansing of our conscience comes from. Is recognizing the power of God and the history of God's salvation. It says, think of Noah. Noah lived in a time when there was a lot of evil. Noah could say that he had a lot of enemies. God saved him from them all and his family with water. And Peter can't help but mention a very similar thing that has happened to you. When God saved you from the forces of evil with water. Yes, even from the forces of evil that were inside your own sinful heart. But as well as the forces of evil that are out there that truly oppose you, sin and Satan and death. God saved you from them all when he baptized you. Because in that baptism, he grabbed you, kind of like putting Noah on an ark, but he took you to safety, to security. He united you to the name of Jesus Christ. And in his name, you have forgiveness for your flaws. You have mercy for your mistakes. The ways that you have failed as a person, as a Christian in the past, those are covered in the grace and forgiveness of Christ. You have the pledge of a clear conscience. Because you, now you know where you stand with God. Now you know why it is that you are here among the chaos. You are here to bear witness to God's salvation. Be ready to give an answer for the hope when someone asks for a reason for the hope that you have. You are ready. Just tell the history of God's salvation. Share your own history. Share why you can face each day with a clear conscience. Do it with gentleness and respect, but revere Christ in your heart as Lord, your Lord of love. Amen.